So it all started with one single conversation where Zuzana was telling me about uh, how we could make a material from coconut water. And it's just fascinating, like, how you could turn coconut water into a material, like something which is solid. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vidya Ayal. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. We record this episode in one of the most cosmopolitan and diversities in India, Mumbai. Today, we have with us Susmeet Shashil and Susanna Gomboshova, co-founders of Malai. There's more to coconut than you thought. They join us from Cochin, Kerala, a lovely coastal southern city in India. Welcome, Susanna and Susmeet. Hello, Vidya. Hello, Vidya. Thank you so much for inviting us to your podcast. It's great. <laughs> I was absolutely fascinated when I came across your brand. My brain went like, wait, wait, how and what? But before we get into that, my roots are from Kerala and coconuts are very important in every aspect yes. of my life in terms of food, in terms of medicine, in terms of beauty care, in terms of religion. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Kerala and its relationship with coconut, how passionate a Keralaite is about coconut. Kerala, from the very name of it, it's land of coconuts. It's a state or a country named after coconut tree. So I don't know if there is any other country or a state which is named after a tree. So it's it's literally land of coconuts. You take an aerial view of Kerala and you see like dots, dots, green dots, and they are all coconuts. And as you rightly said, it can be used for anything and everything. Food, it's like a tree of life. It's also called a mm. tree of life. And this is one single reason I jumped on this journey, this boat of this journey of Malai. So it all started with one single conversation where... Zuzana was telling me about uh, how we could make a material from coconut water. And it's just fascinating, like how you could turn coconut water into a material, like something which is solid. So that was the start of the story. So who thought about the company and how did you guys go about it? It started with Susanna. So I would ask her to tell the story <laughs> how it started. Yeah, actually, my journey didn't start with coconuts at all initially. During my studies in London, I was researching a material called bacterial cellulose. It's a type of uh, material that grows, that is fermented on different types of media. You know, you might be familiar with it um, from the world of uh, beverages where uh, kombucha is very popular nowadays. You might be familiar with it um, from food industry if you like the um, nata de coco. Uh, you might be familiar with it from cosmetic industry. Maybe in some cases it's used in as a um, face mask. Uh, media. And well, during that time, during the research stage, I came across an industry developed in the Philippines, which uses precisely coconut water for fermentation process of bacterial cellulose. So when I came to India, I, you know, I came for a different reason. I came for a job offer, but uh, I had an idea back in my mind, you know, after I saw India, okay, you guys have a lot of coconuts. I'm sure somebody must be growing bacterial cellulose here with all that stuff, but nobody was. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, I met Susmith at the time and uh, he was from Kerala. I had no idea what Kerala was and that it meant so much in terms of coconuts. But I guess he found the idea intriguing as well. 
precisely because he was from a part of, uh, you know, country, a place where, where coconuts have so much significance for daily life. So how did you two meet and how did you become co-founders? Susanna, you're from Slovakia? Yeah. Yep. So we met uh, in Mumbai. In Mumbai, actually, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I came there for uh, to work on a project for one big Indian company. So we were both working at the innovation center of the company. Uh, so we met basically as colleagues, uh, but we shared a lot of you know values. We shared similar views on sustainability, ecology. We are both quite passionate makers, so we spend a lot of time in in the workshops discussing you know uh, how exciting this whole coconut <laughs> growing thing is. Uh, so I think work brought us together initially, and. Uh, We decided, we didn't decide to co-found the company all out of a sudden. Uh, we started experimenting. We, we moved to a different um, district of India, in South India, where, um, you know, we decided to start experimenting with the growth of the material more uh, intensively and also to push the material further so that it can be used for all sorts of different applications. Um and yeah so this first one year after we left our jobs and we were not like very sure whether we will start a company whether what application will this material go into but we both were like very much intrigued by the fact that okay this is a very sustainable very much a sustainable material and uh, let's see what this material can offer so we thought it was like a pure research and like an open ended research so we slowly slowly had to like narrow it down to one application that we would want to take it forward months passed that's a really big step to quit your jobs you know you probably had well paying interesting jobs where you're innovating and in this maker space and you're like okay no we want to try to make fiber out of water one thing that we uh, undermine a lot is a mat- lot of materials like materials are everywhere like everything we do is materials like everything around you is material and it is one of the most undervalued substance or like i mean maybe we can yeah give you a little more of uh, background <laughs> sure <laughs> to what prompted us yes yes please please <laughs> please uh so okay from the work perspective you know we were we, as you said we had jobs you know we were on the path of um becoming members of this big company um and you know susmit uh, used to work on um water filtration yeah, so device. i used to work on a water purifier so i i worked almost all my years on water purification yeah so but in this company like uh, the one i was working for and one the one we were working for like we are making something very futuristic like maybe 30 40 years from now we will have a water purifier like that but whereas uh, in the same state of maharashtra where bombay is uh, people were dying because of water scarcity that year so like what's the point of you making something for 30 40 years down the line and you are not solving the problems that your society is facing right now a few kilometers away from the place you are working so it was in a way pointless susana's project was like much more interesting like yes, i will yeah. i'll ask you tell her, tell her i'll go ahead so i got invited to work on a project um that was initiated there that was looking at the um, industrial way waste that the company generated from all different businesses factories you know we looked at the scale of generation of waste so quantities what it is i think we 
uh, more than 800 materials, kinds of materials were identified. And from those, you know, there are materials that you can recycle, that are materials that you cannot recycle, there are materials that you simply have to incinerate. But it kind of made me understand very thoroughly the whole material cycle that is ingrained in in you know our industries and it made me understand that recycling ultimately is great but it's not solving our problems you know it's just it's just like kind of stretching the timeline besides you know especially i think in in economies and in countries like india it's so complicated to take control over how things are done, you know, and and whether um, processes are really uh, done in a way that they should. So it kind of made me think about the whole material culture that we live in. And and I couldn't see many materials that would be good for the environment, that would be not exploiting somebody at some point of their manufacturing. So I started simply thinking about the materials in a different way and I didn't want to create materials or contribute to to industries that would further hinder the faith of (laughs) our world, let's say. Right, right. So what you're trying to say is that a lot of the recycling that you saw was just kicking the can to the next stage, you know, just kicking the can around. Recycling is kicking the can around. I mean, it's a good practice. It's definitely a good practice. But, you know, it's became such a huge, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, marketing term to use as well. Every big company says, you know, we are recycling, therefore we are good. Right, Right. And they even go to the measure when they say, you know. No addition, no water was used in the recycling of this, in the process of manufacturing this material. Or, you know, there are like many environmental claims which are pulled out completely from the context. Because if you are recycling a material, that means that that certain, you know, amount of energy, resources, water, whatever, was already used for making that material in the first place. So you're just, you know adding to all that. So recycling, of course, is, is a good practice, but ultimately it's, it's not solving the problems that we are facing. Right. And even as human beings, you know, if personally for me, if I think I'm recycling, I feel it's okay to consume this water bottle, to use this water bottle because I'm recycling it. But no, I should not even start at that point, right? I should have a reusable water bottle to begin with, not a plastic one. And, but the fact that I can recycle it gives me sort of the license to, it psychologically gives me the license to say, okay, I'm recycling it anyway, and uh, it's okay to use it. What is the meaning of the name Malai? We have adopted the name from Natari Coco, which means cream of coconut. And Natari Coco is the name bacterial cellulose is known in uh, Southeast Asian country. Yeah, countries like Philippines, you know, Indonesia, where this bacterial cellulose with this material that we work with um, originated from. Malai is also how many people in the world, especially in India, would call the white flesh of tender coconut. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah, so that's Malai as well. And if you mm-hmm. look at the, mm-hmm. the, the color, true, true. the texture, yes, yes, the appearance yeah. of the Malai from coconut, it actually looks uh, very, very similar to nata de coco or to bacterial cellulose when we, when we fermented on coconut water. So we saw like, you know, um, association in that, but also Malai or cream has an association of something very good, good quality, 
you know, top notch. So it's like the best we take from from nature, in a way. From where do you get the discarded coconut water? Where do you procure your raw materials from? So in South India, we consume a lot of coconuts, and when we say coconuts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so all the cooking oil that we use a uh, coconut oil uh we use uh, it as hair oil and we use it in our daily dishes and uh, when it comes to bakery and confectionery we use uh, dry coconut we use coconut milk so all these coconuts uh <laughs> products which are commercially available are made in some sort of factories and and when you say coconut they use only the kernel part they don't use the water part to be specific exactly so all the products that are available commercially they use the white flesh of the coconut and the matured coconut are used for this and we use the water that is generally thrown out or discarded so in a way like we are finding uh an application like a better application for uh, an industrial agricultural waste, stream. waste yeah, and yeah. industrial waste we are just collecting the water that's that's not being used otherwise it would be thrown away and a small coconut uh, processing unit according to what we found can dispose of you know 4000 liters per day easily it can be more it can go up to 12000 with a maybe medium scale was it or large scale medium i medium think scale, yeah. yeah so it's actually we are talking about you know large quantities of this water it's not like a you know few hundred milliliters that are thrown away every day so that's our primary resource so what is the science behind um the bacterial cellulosis what is the science what exactly happens do you is it like making yogurt and kombucha or how does it work in coconut water there is glucose right so it's sweet so it has sugar content primarily we can use any uh, stream any any liquid that has sugar content in it we call it carbon so if there is a carbon source what this bacteria does is it takes the glucose from it and it links together and makes cellulose cellulose is a polymer of glucose so why this bacteria is doing this is uh, once it makes cellulose this uh, cellulose starts floating on the top and this particular bacteria needs both nutrients as well as oxygen so this flotation setup kind of facilitates that it makes um, bacterial cellulose which is also called the mother mother culture yeah yeah so and the whole process takes 12 to 14 days and it really is kind of magical because you start with let's say a tray with your coconut water media uh which is liquid and over first 5 days you know you can see a little kind of film on the top of the water and gradually over the days uh, the bacteria kind of consumes the water and converts it into this jelly i mean if i told you i mean if i didn't tell you it's cellulose you probably wouldn't know i mean it's difficult to <laughs> identify it looks like it's strong jelly and um after you know 12 14 days you can see just the jelly and uh you can harvest it so how much coconut water would you need to make like a square foot of your material square feet we don't generally <laughs> it's like what 30 by 30 cm yeah 30 by 30 cm oh, no, or or you can whatever is is your standard size Uh so we need around uh, 15 liters of coconuts to make uh, one square meter. Okay. Mhm. Square meter. Ah <laughs> square meter, yeah. Yeah. So 15 liters of coconut water will have to break like 150 coconuts. Mhm. Around roughly 150 to 200 coconuts for that. 
And how durable is this material? If you compare it, what would you compare it to? Leather, fabric or felt? Not felt. <laughs> so there is a distinction between, you know, uh, bacterial cellulose in its pure form and then the malai, which is a biocomposite material uh, that we make, that we kind of formulate it here. Mm -hmm. Bacterial cellulose itself in the wet state looks like, yeah, kind of like malai from coconuts, let's say, um, kind of jelly, but it's difficult to tear it, you know, it would be quite strong. Oh, so you have one more step after that. Yeah, do you want yeah, to yeah. talk about that step? Yeah. Okay. What is that? What do you, what do you do with this jelly now? So we, uh, harvest the jelly. Mm -hmm. We basically, um, have prepared or invented the formulation of blending this sheet of material with natural fibers. Mm -hmm. uh, we use natural fibers from banana stem, from hemp and from sea cell plants. We form it into a sheet of material. And the natural fibers there uh, serve as strengthening agent, as an agent that um, adds body to the material, which makes it a little more durable as well. And uh, we have a process of um, dyeing as well. We only use natural dyes. So there are basically several steps into making bacterial cellulose into a sheet of malai. But they're all quite simple processes. They're all um, using natural compounds that are all biodegradable, which is kind of a USP, I guess, that we have. And in the end, you know, we would, we would have uh, what we call malai. What are the unique properties of malai? Uh, besides being biodegradable and using waste to create the material. Malai, so primarily uh, one thing that I want to make clear is that we are a materials research and development company. We uh, research new materials and Malai is the first material that we have come up with. As designers, when we uh, work with some materials, like we tend to take the material and use it as it is. Like we don't go back and forth. So when I say back and forth, imagine paper. Paper as a material. So if you are a designer, you can make boxes with it. You can make packaging with it. So that is using the material as it is. So when we want to do uh, materials design, like designing with the material, we go back. Like we take the paper and we say that, okay, this was pulp before. So if you look at the pulp or if we start from the pulp before actually converting it into paper, if you start from the pulp, the possibilities kind of broaden here. So if you if uh, you can you can do something like paper mache, you can do something like the pulp forming. The possibilities are more not just because making it into a flat sheet, you can make three dimensional objects with it. And if you go one step back again, so the, it was fiber before, like it was wood or it was wood chips, or it was some sort of a natural fiber before making it into pulp. You could think of maybe weaving it first and then putting the uh, pulp over it. So, you know, when you start working with the material, like the horizon kind of broadens. So coming back to the question, what are the <laughs> unique properties of Malai? <laughs> so there are certain things that uh, we can do with Malai that cannot be done with uh, leather per se, because we have all these stages of, at a stage, we have, we have a stage where there are fibers mm -hmm. in the manufacturing process. We have a stage where there's pulp in the manufacturing process. And we have a stage where there is a wet sheet in the manufacturing process. So what it gives to the producer or the maker who is using Malai is that you can modify it at each stage, uh, which is not like possible with when you're using PU-based or PVC-based material, or you get the material as it is, and then you don't have much options like you you have to kind of work with what is available. 
What material do you see Malai substituting? The most important thing for us is um, designing the right process of manufacturing of the material. And that is a priority because we want to keep it as, you know, environmentally friendly uh, and integral in the nature as possible. When it comes to use of material, we look at applications mostly. So, you know, we don't look at it as an imitation or substitute for material like leather in, in general, because if you look at the leather... It's a material that's, that has incredible variability of, you know, applications and uses. And it's been here with, with humanity for thousands of years. It would be great if we could substitute leather with one material, but I am not sure about it yet. But we already know that we can use Malai instead of leather in some of the applications. So let's say you want to make a bag, uh, you have choices of material, you could use leather, you could use uh, artificial leather, you could use textile, all these materials will give it a little different, you know, feel and, and touch and whatever. You could use uh, malai as well, you can uh, use malai and work with the material with in a similar way you would work with leather, which means you can glue it, sew it, you can uh, skive it, you know, you can use it in a similar way as using leather of similar thickness, let's say. Um, you could use it for making sandals or some kind of loafer type shoes. You could use it for furniture features. You know, we are still exploring uh, many of, of the uses. So yeah, I saw you had a variety of collaborations with different companies. Um, would you like to talk about that? One was Caseto, which you were using it for cardboard briefcases and some sort of a plastic, some sort of a upholstery. Would you like to talk a little bit about those applications that your materials have? So Caseto, since you mentioned, it was one of the most interesting applications or uh, interesting collaborations that we had because we were trying to develop this material to make bags and wallets. And we wanted it to resemble leather in uh, the feel, like how the material would flex, like the kind of softness and suppleness it had. But when it came to Caseto, Caseto actually wanted something which is really stiff and hard. <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually really easy for us to do that because like when we make Malai, in one of its like the first forms that as it comes out of processing, it's, it's, it's quite hard. Like it's, it's a, like a stiff board. You can actually knock on it. So... <laughs> It was very easy to, uh, that collaboration was particularly interesting for this reason. When we look at the material, what is the application? So when you look at the application, you will say that, okay, this material may not, need not behave like leather for this particular application. So what we are trying to do is like we, we are trying to develop the material which fits the application perfectly. Mm -hmm. The material behaves differently in different applications, which may not be the case with... Right, right. Like Susanna mentioned, like, you know, in, in any part of the process, you can change what inputs you put in, depending on the stiffness or the flexibility or uh, rigidity required by the application. Isn't that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of variability you can achieve um, during making part of the material itself. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, you know, um, as I mentioned if you look at our material in comparison with leather, leather itself has many different types, many different, you know, grains, 
It's just that it all comes from the same source, which is an animal skin, but it can be processed in many different ways. The same kind of principle can apply to Malai, you know. Um, you can make Malai in certain type of GSM, in certain thickness, you know, and use it for, uh, I don't know, making bags. But in order to make it suitable for material for making sneakers, let's say, you need to twist it a little bit so that it can be used in with the same technology that is currently used for making sneakers so there's still a lot of i think r&d you know uh, on our side if we would like to make it applicable on all possible uses of of leather that we currently see that's why we thought we find basically the application for accessories the most suitable at the moment when did you start the company we started the company in 2018 18, we registered. Uh, basically, we, we started our um, research so the, the Primarily, the research was for one complete one year. Yeah. We are doing just the research. And towards the end of the year, like we had something like, okay, we started making uh, products which resembled the Malai we currently have. Yeah. And we made a few products like bags and wallets from it. We sent it out to people to test it. Like the mm who are like our primary alpha users. <laughs> and um, in January 2018, it's 24th January 2018, we started <laughs> yeah. the company. Yeah, that's like official start. <laughs> but uh, the project started in 2017, yeah. So you have a Kickstarter going on right now. Is is it still on or no? No, it's already over. <laughs> we completed it successfully, which is amazing. How much did you raise? We raised around 18,000 euros. And what was your target? Uh, 15. So we, we reached basically 123%. And it was a very interesting experience, you know, for us as well, because it was the first time we uh, were commercially offering uh, products made from Malai. You know, there are already few brands in the world who offer products from it. But this was the first time it came from us because we want people to to test it, you know, we want final uh, customers who are going to basically wear and use these uh, products. We want their feedback as well. So it was good to know that there are people willing <laughs> to have these products. Uh, and uh, f in terms of what it means for us, you know, we we need to improve our uh, manufacturing processes. We need better equipment. Uh, so we are planning to buy a dryer, hydraulic press with it and a couple of other things that we really need here. So where can one buy these products? Are they available online or is it if I'm a creator of a designer, only then I buy it in bulk from you and then make the products that I want? <laughs> yeah, if you're a maker or a brand or a manufacturer, uh, you can basically you would contact us and tell us what material you need, what you need it for so that we have an idea of what you need. And uh, we supply material primarily. It's not necessarily in bulk because our production capacity is also very small at the moment. What is your capacity in general? We make uh, 200 square meters of material every month. So you tell us what you need and then uh, basically the materials are made to order and we'll make it. 
because that's you know so far has been the model that we were able to work out in in uh, the process of R and D in the process of improving you know the processes and working on the material itself. Thank you, Susanna and Susmit, for coming on Mindful Businesses and sharing your journey in creating this sustainable and versatile fabric. Thank, Thank you, you for inviting us. It's been a pleasure to have a chat with you from. Thank you so much. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send us a message on our Facebook or Instagram page. We recorded this podcast at Radio Wani Studio in Mumbai, India. Tatum Gale composed the music for this podcast. This is Vidya Iyer for Mindful Businesses. 